Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to season 7 of the Islamic History Podcast. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail. In this season, we are discussing the Bosnian War of the 1990s. This is episode 7-6, Austria and Yugoslavia. Before we get into the episode, let's do a brief recap of where we are so far. From the 14th to the 16th centuries, the Ottoman Empire conquers much of the Balkans, including Constantinople. By the end of the 16th century, most of Bosnia is conquered as well. Now part of the Ottoman Empire, Bosnians who accept Islam attain a privileged position in society. However, animosity is growing within the Ottoman Empire's non-Muslim population in the Balkans. And with that, let's discuss how the Ottoman Empire lost Bosnia. Part 2 The Rise and Fall of Yugoslavia The Ottoman Empire's Decay The Ottoman Empire's success depended on its military success. As long as the empire was expanding, things were going well. There were three reasons the empire had to keep expanding. One, to support the lifestyle of the Osmanlu royal family. Two, to support the government bureaucracy. And three, to maintain the Ottoman feudal system. This last point is very important. One of the incentives for joining the military was the opportunity for land and wealth. Newly conquered lands often went to warriors and generals who had been successful in battle. But when the empire stopped expanding, and in fact started shrinking, this system fell apart. Part of the Ottoman Empire's decline is attributed to its inability to abolish the feudal system and its dependency on that system. Feudalism worked fine during the Middle Ages, but it was totally unsuitable for the Industrial Age and the Ottomans never truly adapted. By the late 1800s, Europe and the United States were well ahead of the Ottoman Empire in technology, wealth, and military strength. As the Western world progressed, the Ottoman Empire became less significant on the world stage. For centuries, the Ottoman Empire was the link between Europe and Asia. But with the invention of steam-powered ships, railroads, and the telegraph, European nations could trade directly with Asia without having to go through the Ottomans. Western nations were built on capitalism, colonialism, and industrialism. And regardless of how we view these things today, they brought immense wealth and power to these nations. The Ottoman Empire did try to progress and make changes, but very few of their reforms made any significant difference. There were two reasons for this. One, the European powers continually interfered in Ottoman domestic and foreign affairs. And two, Ottoman Muslims often resisted the government's reforms. Internal resistance was a major impediment to Ottoman reform. 
One of the most contentious issues was taxes. The empire lost significant tax revenue when European nations began trading directly with Asia. To make up for this, the empire raised taxes on landowners, most of whom were Muslim. The Muslim landowners, who were the backbone of Ottoman feudal society, resented these higher taxes. Some Ottoman intellectuals believed Islam was holding the empire back. Rather than simply invest in science and technology, these intellectuals advocated decreasing Islam's role in the empire. The Sublime Port, the term used for the Ottoman central government, accepted some of these ideas. They began imitating the European education system and implemented an increasingly secular legal system. Many Muslims in the empire resisted these changes, accusing the government of imitating the West. In their rush to imitate the Europeans, the Ottomans also adopted nationalism. It was no longer a matter of Muslim or non-Muslim. It was now a matter of Turkish Muslim and Arab Muslim and Kurdish Muslim and Bosnian Muslim. The Impact on Bosnian Muslims The Muslims of Ottoman Bosnia felt these changes more acutely than others. Bosnia was very much a feudal society and slow to accept the government reforms. By the Industrial Revolution, agricultural practices in Bosnia were outdated, far behind their European and American counterparts. This resulted in lower output and higher unemployment rates. Bosnian Muslims were often at odds with the sublime port. They were hard hit by the increased taxes. They did not like sending their sons off to fight the empire's never-ending wars. They shared a border with hostile Serbia. They were under constant threat of European aggression. And the sublime port wanted to abolish the Janissaries. By the early 19th century, the Janissaries were no longer the elite fighting force that had helped capture Constantinople in 1453. They were an entrenched, bureaucratic, political nightmare, and they were no longer effective on the battlefield. The Janissaries were only concerned about their status, wealth, and privilege. Most Janissaries stationed in Bosnia were from Bosnia. In order to modernize its military, the Sublime Port had to get rid of the Janissary Corps. And this angered Bosnian Janissaries and their families. The military and religious establishments were on the same page in this regard. The Bosnian military elite did not like the military reforms. And the Bosnian Islamic elite did not like the social reforms. Surprisingly, Many Bosnian Christians also resented Ottoman reforms. The Ottoman Milet system allowed the Christian leadership in Bosnia to run their communities independently with little interference from the government. But the proposed reforms wanted to end this system and with it the privileged positions of these Christian leaders. With all of these issues, the Ottoman-Bosnian community prepared to resist the government's reforms. 
Some of the Bosnian feudal lords had their own personal armies, which they used to chase away government employees. The Sublime Porte did not know how to handle these Bosnians who, for all intents and purposes, were staging a rebellion. While Istanbul tried to figure things out, the Bosnian feudal lords operated independently of the government. Eventually, the Sublime Porte decided they could not allow one of their provinces to defy the law and the sultan. This led to fighting between the Ottoman government and the Bosnians. The Bosnian Uprising The Bosnian Uprising took place in 1831, a few years after Russia defeated the Ottomans during the Greek War for Independence. Furious about the defeat and the lost territory, Sultan Mahmud II introduced various measures to reform the feudal and military systems in Bosnia. This sparked a revolt in Bosnian Muslim landowners allied with a group of Albanians against the government. Initially, the rebels did fairly well, capturing the city of Travnik, about 55 miles west of Sarajevo. Encouraged by this early success, the rebels demanded Bosnia be granted autonomy, though they'd continued to pledge allegiance to the Ottoman Sultan. But soon things went downhill for the rebels. Internal discord turned the landowners against each other, which the government exploited. Ottoman forces finally put down the rebellion in 1832 and proceeded to implement many of the sultan's reforms. The results were mixed. The Ottomans continued to lose against the Russians and other Christian European powers throughout the 1800s. And when the Ottomans lost wars, they also lost land. This further weakened the empire, putting it at the mercy of the Europeans. The Europeans forced the Ottomans to enact reforms which often benefited the Europeans more than the Ottomans. When the empire tried to enact these reforms, they again met resistance, alienating their Muslim subjects, including the Bosnians. The Ottoman Empire was in a downward spiral, losing their grip on the Balkans, and they had no idea how to stop it. Their Christian subjects, especially the Orthodox Serbs, felt no attachment to the Sublime Port. Their Muslim subjects were upset about the reforms. The Russian and Austrian empires had already pried Serbia, Montenegro, and Bulgaria from the Ottomans and were planning to take more. And the other Western powers were plotting to weaken the Ottoman Empire and take even more territory. And what was the Ottoman response to these challenges? Nationalism. Not a good idea in a multicultural, multi-religious, and multi-ethnic empire. Nationalism spread through the empire from the Turks to the Arabs and to a lesser extent, even to the Bosnians. Slavic Nationalism The Tanzimat reforms the Ottoman government introduced in 1839 did not improve things with its non-Muslim subjects in the Balkans. In fact, they probably made things even worse. 
The Ottomans were losing control of the Balkans through nationalism and modernization. The weakening Ottoman Empire sparked nationalistic hopes in the southern Slavic people. Southern Slavs living in the Austrian Empire wanted to unite with southern Slavs in the Ottoman Empire to create a new southern Slavic state. Other Slavic nationalists, primarily Serbs and Croats, wanted to create their own nations that united their people in Austria with their people in Bosnia and Serbia. This idea of South Slav unity was known as the Illyrian Movement. The Illyrian movement tried to ignore the religious and cultural differences within the southern Slavs and focus more on gaining independence from Hungary, Austria, and the Ottoman Empire. Some members of the Illyrian movement even hoped to unite with the Muslim Bosnians and quote-unquote free them from Ottoman domination. In the mid-1800s, the Illyrian movement had changed into something called Yugoslavism. Yugo means South, so one might think of this as South Slavism. The leaders of Yugoslavism pushed for a Yugoslav state that included both Serbs and Croats. Most Serbs were not interested in this idea. They preferred independence from the Ottomans and unification with Serbia. By the early 1900s, Yugoslavism was all but dead. Bosnian Muslim Identity Let's discuss the word Bosniak. Muslim Bosnians have called themselves Bosniaci or Bosniak for centuries. This differentiated them from non-Muslim Bosnians and non-Bosnian Muslims living in Bosnia. The Ottoman government, however, referred to everyone living in Bosnia as Bosniak regardless of their religious affiliation. During the communist era of the 1960s, the term Bosniak fell out of use only to be revived again in the 1990s. Today, it is enough to understand that Bosniak is the preferred term for Bosnian Muslims. By the mid-1800s, the Ottomans knew they were losing the Balkans and depended on the Bosniaks to help them keep it. But this was unrealistic since the Sublime Port had little authority in Bosnia. The Muslim Bosnian elite dominated Bosnia. They enacted their own agricultural and government policies independent of whatever scheme or reforms the Sublime Port wanted. This is not to say the Bosnians were about to rebel again. In fact, they shared the same interests as the Ottoman government in maintaining control over the Balkans. And despite the rise in nationalism, Bosnian Muslims were still loyal to the Ottoman government. But the average Bosniak was more loyal to their local leaders than the government in Istanbul. There were too many divisions in Bosnia to effectively unite in support of the Sublime Port. There were Orthodox Bosnian Serbs, Catholic Bosnian Croats, and Muslim Bosniaks. There was also a language divide. Muslim and Christian Bosnians spoke almost the same language. 
But Bosnians spoke a different language from the Turkish-speaking Ottoman government that ruled over them. There were regional divides. Rural Muslim and Christian Bosnians resented the city-dwelling elites whom they supported with their taxes. And the wealthy elite, most of whom were Muslim, kept increasing taxes on rural Bosnians in order to support their lifestyle. And as we mentioned in the previous episode, there was the huge divide between Muslim feudal lords and the non-Muslim peasants whose lives they controlled. All of these divisions led to a disconnect between Muslim and non-Muslim Bosnians, Muslim Bosnians and Muslim Turks, and rural Bosnians and urban Bosnians. The uprising of 1831 notwithstanding, Bosniaks were not as nationalistic as their Arab and Turkish counterparts. Despite their detachment from the government, Bosniaks did not really emphasize a separate national identity. Generally speaking, most Bosniaks were loyal to the empire, they just resented the higher taxes and government reforms. The Bosniaks had a long and strong connection to the Sultan and the Islamic government in Istanbul. They were connected through history, religion, and mutual benefits. Bosnian Muslims lived a privileged life under Ottoman authority because they were Muslim. And regardless of their wealth or class, they wanted to maintain that privilege. Nonetheless, Bosniaks had unique needs and desires that did not always conform with the government's policies. The Congress of Berlin, 1878 In 1774, Russia defeated the Ottoman Empire after a six-year war. In the peace negotiations, the Ottomans gave Russia permission to protect Orthodox Christians in their territory. Russia would exploit this gift at every opportunity. Over the next century, the Austrian and Russian empires won several victories against the Ottoman Empire. This further weakened Ottoman control in the Balkans and increased nationalistic tendencies. Though they shared a common enemy, Austria and Russia had different desires for the Balkans. Austria wanted to keep the Russians out, whereas the Russians were trying to find a way to get in. By the late 1800s, other European powers were getting involved in the Balkans also. Like Austria, Great Britain did not like Russia's growing influence in the Balkans. Great Britain preferred to maintain the status quo and tried to prop up the Ottoman Empire in order to block Russia. An example of this can be seen in the Congress of Berlin in 1878. Ottoman Christian peasants in the Balkans and their local religious leaders conspired against the government. This led to a massive revolt by the Christian peasants against the local Muslim elites in 1875. Russia announced its support of the Christian peasants and declared war on the Ottoman Empire. The war ended in 1877 with Russia victorious. 
This led to the Treaty of San Stefano, where Russia severely weakened Ottoman influence in the Balkans while increasing its own influence. However, the Austria-Hungary Kingdom and Great Britain disagreed with this treaty. The Austrians were concerned it would increase Slavic nationalism, and the British were concerned about Russia getting too strong in the Balkans. Britain, Austria, and France called for a meeting of the European powers in Berlin in the summer of 1878. This meeting was called the Congress of Berlin, not to be confused with the Berlin Conference, which led to the European partitioning of Africa. The primary goal of the Congress of Berlin was to preserve the balance of power among the European nations while also maintaining some measure of peace. The Congress of Berlin led to the Treaty of Berlin. The Treaty of Berlin revised the Treaty of San Stefano to lessen Russian gains but also weaken Ottoman power in the Balkans. There were several terms to the treaty, including full independence of Montenegro, Serbia, and Romania from the Ottoman Empire. These nations had been autonomous states for many years, but still nominally part of the Ottoman Empire. For our purposes, the most important part of the Treaty of Berlin was the Ottoman Empire ceding control of Bosnia to the Austria-Hungary Kingdom. The treaty gave Austria the right to occupy and administer Bosnia, though the Sultan would continue to hold formal sovereign rights until 1908. In other words, Austria controlled Bosnia, but the Ottoman Empire could pretend it was still in charge. This was a windfall for Austria. The Habsburg dynasty that controlled the dual kingdom of Austria-Hungary had a weak navy. This prevented them from expanding overseas like France, Germany, and Great Britain. The only way for Austria to expand was through the Balkans, and acquiring Bosnia gave them that opportunity. Not only would it give them a chance to influence newly independent Serbia, they could also exploit Bosnia's natural resources. Bosnia had large deposits of gold, silver, lead, iron, and coal. It also had vast untapped forests and a large labor force. Nonetheless, Bosnia's vague legal status was a challenge for the Austria-Hungary kingdom. In order to avoid controversy, the Joint Imperial Ministry of Finance administered Bosnia. This made it a crown possession and outside the responsibility of either Austria or Hungary. Bosnian Resistance Just before the occupation began, social unrest paralyzed Bosnia as the Bosniaks resisted domination by the Christian Habsburg monarchy. The Austrian government in Vienna issued an imperial proclamation promising equal protection to Bosnian Muslims under Habsburg law. Despite these overtures, the unrest grew to a resistance movement. 
The Ottoman government instigated this resistance by leaving 40,000 armed troops in Bosnia and providing weapons and ammunition. The Bosnian resistance movement was formidable but disorganized. It was comprised of Bosniak volunteers, Bosniak soldiers from the Ottoman army, former Ottoman gendarmerie units, outlaws, and military deserters. By the end of 1878, the worst of the fighting was over. Another dust-up occurred in 1881 when the Austrian government passed a law requiring military service from the entire population of Bosnia. Bosnian Serbs, who were mostly Orthodox, almost revolted against the government in opposition to this new law. Bosnian Muslims were also opposed to conscription. The Bosnian Croats, who were Catholic like the Habsburg dynasty, were the only ones who approved of this law. Right here, we can see the seeds of the alignments that would come into play in the 1990s. The Bosnian Croats did not have any real animosity towards the Bosnian Muslims at this time. The same could not be said for Croats and Serbs. The Croats hoped to ally with the Bosnian Muslims to prevent Serb political domination. But the only thing the Bosnian Serbs wanted was to unite their lands in Bosnia with the Kingdom of Serbia. Bosnian Muslim Affairs in Austria-Hungary Like everyone else in the Ottoman Empire, the Bosniaks' primary identity was their religion, Islam. But after the Treaty of Berlin, for the first time ever, Bosnian Muslims were under the jurisdiction of non-Muslims. Not only were the Bosniaks separated from other Muslims in the Ottoman Empire, they were also separated from other South Slavs in the Balkans. This was the beginning of a new era and several challenges for Bosnian Muslims. In 1879, Austria-Hungary and the Ottoman Empire negotiated the Novi Pazar Convention, which laid out the legal status of Bosnia and Herzegovina. It confirmed Ottoman sovereignty and the Sultan's rights as head of the Muslim community. Bosnian Muslims retained the right to contact Muslims in the Ottoman Empire and to practice their own customs and traditions. They were even allowed to use Ottoman currency in Bosnia. Generally speaking, the Austrian government allowed considerable religious freedom in Bosnia. The Islamic Community of Bosnia and Herzegovina In 1882, the Ottoman Sheikh al-Islam appointed a Bosnian mufti named Hilmi Effendi Omarovic. The Austrian government gave him the title Raisul Olam, which means Head of the Scholars. Mufti Hilmi now had the authority to appoint Muslim judges in Bosnia. This was the beginning of the Islamic Community of Bosnia and Herzegovina, or... ICBH. 
This is the most important and influential Islamic organization in Bosnia. The ICBH promoted a more liberal expression of Islam to fit in better with the Christian government of Austria-Hungary. As such, Bosnia's approach to Islam is more liberal than what is found in many Muslim countries. However, things changed after World War I. We will discuss this period in more depth in the next episode. But for now, here's a brief overview. After Austria was defeated in the war, Bosnia became part of a new nation called the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes. This kingdom was ruled by a Serbian dynasty that abolished the religious freedom Bosnians had enjoyed under the Austrians. Then, the ICBH headquarters were moved out of Sarajevo to Belgrade in Serbia, where the government could keep a closer watch. Things got even worse after World War II, as much of the Balkans fell under communist rule. ICBH property was seized and nationalized by the communist Yugoslav government and Islamic schools were shut down. By the 1980s, Bosniaks had lived for decades under communist rule and were much less religious. Being Muslim was more of an ethnic identity than a religious one. Today, however, the ICBH plays a critical role in revitalizing Islam in Bosnia and reconnecting Bosniaks with their Islamic heritage. In the next episode, we will discuss Marshal Tito and the founding of Yugoslavia. You've been listening to the Islamic History Podcast, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You can support the Islamic History Podcast and get exclusive content by subscribing to our premium channel, Islamic History Exclusive. If you have an Apple device, iPhone, iPad, iPod, or any Mac computer, open the Apple Podcast app and search for Islamic History Exclusive. If you use Android, Windows, or any non-Apple device, visit patreon.com slash Islamic History. Stay tuned for a brief clip from one of our premium shows. Special thanks to Brother Zulfikar Sarosh for his research and support of the show, and thanks to all of our premium subscribers. Until next time, my name is Mutaki Ismail for the Islamic History Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Season 1 of the Umayyad Caliphate, presented by Islamic History Exclusive. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail, and this is Episode 1-6, The History of Al-Aqsa. Let's begin by discussing Al-Haram al-Sharif, or the Noble Sanctuary, in Jerusalem. 
Al-Haram al-Sharif, which is also called Al-Aqsa or Masjid Al-Aqsa, was the first Qibla in Islam before Allah commanded us to pray towards the Kaaba in Mecca. Al-Aqsa or Al-Haram al-Sharif, the noble sanctuary, is a large rectangular shaped compound located in the southeast corner of the old city of Jerusalem. Al-Aqsa covers about 35 acres of land and contains several religious monuments and artifacts, which we will discuss later on in this episode. The two most prominent of these religious monuments and buildings are Masjid al-Qibli, which most of us consider Masjid al-Aqsa, and the Dome of the Rock, which in Arabic is Qubat al-Sakhra. Masjid al-Aqsa, or al-Haram al-Sharif, the Noble Sanctuary, is the third holiest site in Islam after the Kaaba and Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina. Within this compound, all of which is sacred, are at least 200 historical and religious monuments and artifacts. And just like the Haram in Mecca, and the Prophet's Masjid in Medina, the entire compound of Al-Aqsa is blessed and sacred. The prayer can be made any place within Al-Aqsa, within Masjid Al-Aqsa, and not just within its buildings, such as the Dome of the Rock or Masjid Al-Qibli, which most of us call Masjid Al-Aqsa. And this is the thing I want to make sure we understand. The entire compound, the entire 35 acres that is known as Al-Aqsa, that is known as Masjid Al-Aqsa, which is also known as Al-Haram al-Sharif, which is also known as the Noble Sanctuary, all of this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. Not just the building that we colloquially call Masjid Al-Aqsa, which is probably preferred to be called Masjid al-Qibli. And I'll explain that later on. So you can pray anywhere within al-Aqsa, within the compound of al-Aqsa and not just within its buildings. Now the city that Masjid al-Aqsa, al-Aqsa is in, it is Jerusalem, which in Arabic is called al-Quds, which means the holy. And Jerusalem is one of the holiest cities in the world, not just to Muslims, but also to Jews and Christians. But for Muslims, it is considered the third holiest city in Islam, of course, after Mecca and Medina. And many prophets before Prophet Muhammad wasallam, lived or worked or spent some time in Jerusalem at some point. For instance, we have prophets Ibrahim, Yaqub, and Yusuf, all of them lived in the area that we now call Jerusalem before the actual city of Jerusalem was established. That's because Jerusalem was actually established by Prophet Dawood, who was the king of the Israelites or the ruler over the Israelites. Jerusalem was founded by Prophet Dawood, and so Prophet Dawood, of course, lived in Jerusalem, but also his son, Prophet Sulaiman, also lived and ruled from Jerusalem. With that being said, we can thereby extrapolate that there are many stories in the Quran that take place in Jerusalem. For instance, Belkis, the Queen of Sheba, 
when she visited Prophet Suleiman and, and eventually accepted Islam. The story is explained very clearly and beautifully in the Quran. This took place in Jerusalem and almost certainly within the compound that we now call Al-Aqsa. The compound didn't exist back then, but the ground of Al-Aqsa did. And most certainly, this is where Belkis came and met Prophet Suleiman and accepted Islam. Something else we can get from this story with Belkis, Allah describes the palace or the temple that Suleiman ruled over. This was a temple that he had constructed. Christians and Jews call it a temple. We can call it a masjid, however. This masjid was originally begun by his father, Dawood, but Suleiman, alayhi salam, fin finished it. 